Now? You getting me now? Okay, good. Um, but we are seeing uh, churches not only develop but grow so quickly. And that just lets us know it's the last days. We, I mean, uh, the hardest place in the world to start a church is now one of the fastest growing um, they've had more people receive the Holy Ghost in Greece in the last year than we had the last 25 years. God is doing some things exponentially. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm just glad to be a small part of that and whatever we can do. And, and you can't boast whenever it's not you doing it, it's the Lord, and he's just opened doors. But it, it's just a, a wonderful thing to see what God is doing across the globe. But it's also a tremendous honor to be able to just to come and, and be with you. And, and, and the breakfast was wonderful. <laughs> God bless the cooks. Amen. Amen. Prosper them. I'm just going to be real brief here on this. But I, and I didn't come to push books. But this is um, the latest book I've written. It's called The Word Alive Summary of the New Testament. It's very unique. And uh, 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 two years ago, I taught on every book of the New Testament. And the whole church read through the New Testament. So whatever book we were reading at the time, I just did a syllabus and taught history and whatever about that book and key verses and such as that. When I was about to finish the end of the year, the Lord just impressed me in prayer that I needed to uh, publish it. And, and I never intended, really, when I started doing that, to publish it. As a result, you actually have a book that you could just take to the pulpit or a small group uh, because the book is in an outline form. Instead of you reading paragraph after paragraph, it's actually main point, sub point, supporting point, and, you, and it's already in an outline form like most people do their messages uh, where it just has key verses. Then I have uh, some uh, sketches of key people in the Bible. And then um, some of the pictures I actually took because I've been to a lot of these places. In fact, <laughs> this is not the post, but I have been to every city mentioned in the book of Acts now. And sometimes that was completely accidental, not even planned. Uh, but every city that's mentioned now, we've, we've actually traveled the land of the New Testament. But anyway, it may be something that you were interested in, and, and uh, they're $29.95, but I'm selling them for $24.95. And then there's one other book I'll just show you. This is just the third volume of a Bible I wrote, um, and it's called The Word Defined Research Study Bible, where I defined all the proper nouns that's of people and places in the entire Bible. Um, I, I took uh, Biblical Hebrew and when I started doing that and seeing the translation of these names, I started seeing that below the surface, and you hear, hear pre people, uh, preachers preach, and they'll say, now the meaning of this name is this, and a lot of times it enhances uh, your understanding of the Scripture. I was in Israel one time, and they were sitting in the, uh, the lobby of a hotel, and this rabbi said, well, you, you Christian and Western Christians will never understand the Bible like we do because we know the meaning of the names of people and places, and, and there's, there's great meaning in those things. And he'd really challenged me, Brother Davis, and before I got home from uh, Israel that time, I'd already started translating uh, the book of Genesis, and it was just amazing the stuff that I found uh, in this book, you'll find it, but if you define the meaning of the first ten men that were uh, the first ten generations of Genesis, you will find a prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is just define their name, and you don't even have to add but just a few connectives, and it's from, from the heavens, a, descender, a ruler descended, uh, with, uh, for, with peace and mercy to bring restoration. And, and it's basically a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth in the meaning of the first ten men mentioned in the book. And you know that's not accidental. So you know the Bible is just an amazing, amazing book, and it is the Word of God. Can you say amen? 
I want to share just something with you, and it's from a very familiar passage of Scripture. And when I, when I was asked to do this, and, and again, thank you, Brother Cockrell, for asking me to, to be here, and, and Brother Shalon Davis, uh, Pastor Davis, for allowing me to be here. And maybe I could just, I was praying on my way over here, God, let me just say something that would enhance your relationship or cause you to get a fresh desire to know him. Because if there ever was a day that our men need to be spiritual leaders in their home and in the church, it's today. Um, we, we, you know, men have a rightful position. You were created to be a ruler. Adam was the king of the earth. And inside of every one of you men is a king. The only thing is that you've got to decide whether you're going to be king or whether you're going to be a servant to the king. So that's, that's the decision we have to make. Where we bring our authority under his authority, we actually have greater authority. You can be a king in yourself, but if you want to just serve the king, now you have his authority. And so your families are dependent upon you having that personal relationship with God and leading them in a spiritual way. I didn't come here to beat anybody up. I just came here to challenge you. Is that all right? Okay. Matthew, the sixth chapter, and verse number nine. And I'm not going to keep you long here. Matthew, the sixth chapter, and verse number nine. You know this very well. If you want to read it out loud with me. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Anybody ever heard that before? Of course, it's called the Lord's Prayer, but in reality, it is not, it is not really the Lord's Prayer. They call it that because the Lord prayed it, but it's actually the disciples' prayer because it is an answer to a question. And the question was from the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, okay, I'm going to teach you to pray, and this won't make a lot of sense now, but after I have gone to Calvary and died and been resurrected and ascended into glory and you're filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, then you will understand this prayer. And so this was the prayer that he prayed. Remember when he told him, I go away to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. What he was really saying to them is, I'm going away, which is Calvary and the death to prepare a place for you, which is where I am right now. I am in relationship with the Father. I am walking in sonship. And I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can be where I am. Okay? I know we think sometimes it's talking about heaven. And yes, he has prepared a place called the New Jerusalem. But that verse is really not just talking about the New Jerusalem and the sweet by and by. It's talking about an opportunity for you to become what he is. And it is God's will that we become what He is. Can you say amen? Amen. He was the only begotten first Son of God. But He was the firstborn of many that would come after. He was the prototype of those that would be produced after. And that group that is produced after is us. So He wants us to walk not just as Christian men, but as sons of God. Okay? And if he didn't, then why did he say, pray like this, our Father, which art in heaven? Wait a minute. Do you realize that, that Jesus, he actually is the first one to ever call Yahweh Father? That was blasphemous in the ears of the Pharisees. 
How dare you think you're good enough to call Yahweh, which we won't even say his name. They, they didn't call him Yahweh. That was something you didn't say. They said Hashem, which means the name. How about that? Or they would call him Adonai, which means sir or lord. I, I was taking biblical Hebrew, and our teacher, we were doing it over the Internet on video, and our teacher was teaching us, and we were translating Hebrew back into English, and uh, she told us at the very beginning of the class, at the very beginning of the course, she said, now, when we come to yad heh vav uh, do not translate that in its actual name. We do not use the Lord's name because we're afraid we may take it in vain. He said, so, uh, or she said, so when you get to that, when you know you've come to his name, just say, uh, just say Adonai. You know, don't, don't say, don't say that word. So we were in the midst of teaching one time, and, and she was excitedly going through some things, and, and all of a sudden she said it. When she was translating, she said the name. And immediately she fell silent. And we looked, and there's nobody there. She's gone. And I'm like, oh, what just happened? <laughs> and finally, a few moments later, she comes back on, and tears running down her face. She said, please forgive me. I had to repent because I said his name, and I wasn't praying. And I thought, dear God, if we could have that kind of reverence for His name. Come on, somebody. And we are the people of His name. Amen? So that, that really impressed me that they still are that way. They still. So whenever you have this young man that was born in Nazareth, all place, which is a bad neighborhood to be from, and you're walking around calling Yahweh your father, you are really, you are really stepping off into something that is dangerous, so to speak, and very disrespectful. But the fact of the matter was, he was telling the truth. And because he called him father, we can call him Father. Do you realize how strange it was on the ears of the disciples when Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, Our Father, which art in heaven. Ooh, no way. You have got to be kidding. Uh, no way. I'm not going to call him Father. You can call him Father. We know you're Messiah. you got the license. We are just fishermen. This ain't going to happen. We are imperfect men. This is just no way. This is not going to work. But you see, the thing was is that he was trying to stretch them beyond where they had been so they could be what they had never been. And can I tell you, that's why I've come this morning. I want to stretch you a little bit so that you can be something that you've never been. So you can know God in a way you've never maybe known Him. Or at least you can feel comfortable in pursuing a greater relationship with Him than just being someone filled with the Holy Ghost sitting on the pew. You are a son of God. Now there's only one prerequisite to the Son of God. As many as are led by the Spirit They are the sons of God. If you can learn to be led and surrendered to the Spirit, you can be a son of God. Does anybody want to be a son of God? You want to be one? Well, then I'm in the right place. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven. You know what he was saying? First of all, if you want to be a son of God, it's got to get out of religion and into relationship. This is not something I do on Sunday morning or Sunday night. Or Wednesday. And I'm sure these pastors appreciate what I'm saying about that. But it's something you do every day. You are not just a son of God on Sunday. 
or Son of God on Wednesday. You see, that is the secular way of thinking. And, and, and in, in our society today, you've got a secular side of life that God is not a part of, and then you've got a spiritual side of life, that a religious side of life that he is a part of. You know, uh, me and my uncle were talking about that very thing. You know, he said, well, that's my time. That's when I do what I want to do, even if it's offensive to God. It's my time. But over here, this is his time. I do what he wants me to do. That is not a biblical principle. You are not a part-time son. Sonship is not a part-time job. I are a son no matter what I'm doing. Okay? I'm a son. So, if I'm going to walk in sonship, there's no secular side of my life anymore. Everything I do matters to him because I am his son. You know, when you have a smaller son in your home, he doesn't just go where he wants to and call you later and tell you where he went. You even have a say-so of how he dresses or who he has as friends. And you might have even said this before. As long as you're in my house. Anybody ever heard that before? You heard it, now you're saying it. Isn't it wonderful that you finally get revenge? Let me tell you something. You're in his house, but if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you are his house. Okay? So as long as you are his house... You're going to do it his way. As long as I'm breathing his air, I think I ought to let him have a say-so in my life. Come on, somebody. And it gets out of religion that you do into relationship that you are. And I'm sure that that's preached here often. But, but I just, that, that's the first thing. He said, when you, when you want to pray, pray like this. Our Father. Acknowledge. You're my Father and you're in heaven. You're over all things. You have all power. But you're my Father. And, and, but I also, you know, uh, there was not too long ago, I went into the sanctuary, you know, I just started praying and, and all of a sudden you can say, I know, uh, sure, you know, God talks, right? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, how dare you just barge into my presence? Whoa. Okay. (laughs) All right. Let me try this again. And I literally went out and came back in repenting. Lord, (laughs) forgive me for assuming that I could just, he said, I did that because you are my son, and there is a relationship, but you never need to forget who your father is. He's the sovereign God. So, yes, you, you can have an intimate relationship with him as a father-son, but don't forget he calls the shots. Don't forget he is the ultimate authority. And so every once in a while he checks me like that. And I, oh, yes, sir, whatever you say, forgive me. Because I don't want to forget. I don't want to take him for granted. My Father, which art in heaven, holy is your name. Hallowed be thy name. I, I don't ever want to get so familiar with him that I mistreat him or I assume too much. Yes, he is my Father. Yes, he is a loving, compassionate Father. But he also is the mighty God. And I, I've got to balance that somehow. Let me tell you how important that is. And I, I know I'm going to have to move quickly here. But let me tell you how important that is. We live in a society now where, you know, God does whatever you want. As long as you just come in and patty cake and praise him. We're in the society where you've got people that praise God, but they never pray. People that praise God, but they don't serve him. 
That is the modern religious world today, folks. Just go in to, to a high-powered service and praise God, and you're good to go for the rest of the week to do whatever you want to do and live however you want to and dress however you want to and act however you want to. You all understand what I'm saying? That is the society of Christian religion in America today. And it's a poison. Because what has happened is pastors have not told their people that they need to read the Old Testament too. Because if you just read the New Testament, you think Jesus is a cosmic teddy bear and everything goes. But if you read the Old Testament, you find out he's the sovereign king. And if you don't build the ark the way I said it, it's not going to float. And if you don't build this tabernacle the way I said it, I'm not living there. And if you don't build this temple the way I said it, you won't ever see me. It'll just be a fancy building. We've got to understand the balance between the two. And sons know how far to push daddy. Can I have a witness? And you know when you've gone too far. Amen? So there's the thing. If we, have, if we see him as sovereign God in Old Testament and see him as merciful God in New Testament, now the, the iron fist has a velvet glove. But we always know that even though we've got a velvet glove called mercy and grace, there's an iron fist in there somewhere. It ain't gone away. And that gives us a balance. So as a son, it's not, oh, Father, you're going to do everything I want you to do because I'm your son. No, I'm living with the Father, and I've got to give him rightful positioning, and I've got to give him authority in my life. I've got to surrender it to him and allow him to be what he wants to be and make me what he wants me to be. Can you say amen? So the next thing you're going to pray is, thy kingdom come. Not my kingdom come. But thy kingdom come. You see, the thing about the Lord's prayer or the disciples' prayer is that it is really the son's prayer. It's a prayer of sonship. And the powerful thing about it is you're not asking God for anything. These in the original Greek are nothing but commands. Because it is a son that is commanding things in the name of his father. It's like the crown prince that the king sends to another part of the providence and says, I want to build a bridge over this river. You go take care of it. So he walks in and he talks to the engineers and he says, okay, dad wants a river, wants a bridge over this river and, uh, and I want to see the plans and I'll look at them and approve them and, uh, and we've got to get, we got this bridge to be built. And they say, well, you're not the king. Oh, but you see that ring right there? I am the king's representative. I have come in the king's name. I'm a son. And if you don't deal with me in an appropriate way, just remember one day I'll be the king and I won't forget. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You want a bridge? We got a bridge. The seal right there. Okay, good. It's just like the king did it. That is what he wants us to be. He wants us to operate in prayer and in authority and move into situations where we're not just Christian men. We are sons of God. And Father has given us his endorsement. We have his name. We have his authority. I do not pray as someone that does not have authority. I do not speak as someone that does not have authority. I am a son. I have been given his authority. And I speak as one that has authority. Now here's the thing. Do you notice that that's what they said about Jesus? Who is this guy? He doesn't speak like the scribes and the Pharisees. 
When he talks, he acts like he knows somebody that knows somebody. He acts like he has authority to say what he says. That whenever he says it, that there, all the angels in heaven are ready to back him up. Well, we know who Jesus is. We know he was God manifested in flesh. He was Yahweh in a body. Hiding behind a veil of flesh. Amen? Well, what are you? How many has got the Holy Ghost? Now, if we believe there's one God, then the Holy Ghost is the Father Spirit. So what's the difference between you and Jesus? He had all the fullness, and you and I only have a part. But in working together as sons, we have just as much authority as Jesus did. You know, that has really helped me because I have found myself in situations. When I was in Russia, we went in right after the curtain fell, and I was in Dombrezhnev Chelny in a country called Tartistan, which was Islamic, and we were building the first Christian church in that nation. And we had rented an old theater, abandoned theater that seated about 600 people. We had about 2,300 there that night, and it was my turn to preach, and I was preaching about God's miracles on parade. And I'll never forget standing behind that stage and thinking, what in the world am I doing here? Well, how did this happen? You know, because whenever I was invited to come, they just said, well, we're going to Russia and we're taking some businessmen and, and you might want to go. It would be a great opportunity and you might free, preach a couple times. Well, it turned out that I preached like three or four times. And I never dreamed. I just never, there was no information for me to create what I thought I was walking into till I got there. And I'm looking, and these people have been under uh, the communist rule for 70-something years. They, they, they would not even use, they would not even clap their hands because they had part of the Scripture. They would they'd tear out parts of the Bible and they'd share it with each other because it's illegal to have a whole Bible. And, and I know I'm, I'm just rambling here, and I, I, I'm going to try to stay on course. But, but whenever we were there, you know, we were, we were sharing with them. And so one time we were sitting at the table with the bishop, and we said, Sir, it's not wrong to clap your hands in church. Oh, yeah, the Bible says that God does not live in a house made of hands. I'm like, whoa, that's misinterpreted. But when you've only got part of the Bible, and you get it handed around, and you just get, you can get all kind of false doctrine in there. And so we begin to show him that, oh, clap your hands, oh, ye people. Shout unto God and clap your hands with the voice of triumph. And we, he got up that, that night and he said, folks, he said, we, you know, it's like Cornelius. We have had someone that has been sent to us to show us greater truth. And folks, you can clap your hands in church. Let me tell you something. But that was the greatest revelation they'd ever heard in their life because they had been so accustomed to sitting on their hands because there might be a spy in their service. But now they begin to clap. And I'm telling you what, they clapped your, their hands from the time he made that announcement to the time we left. There was liberty that took place. But you know what? When I stepped up on that platform and said, God, I'm not here representing me. If I was, I'd be in a mess right now. But I'm a son of God. Yes. And Father, you put me here and you've got something to say. So I'm going to say what you want me to say, and you're going to do what you want to do. And that's just as simple as it's going to be. And you know what? That has allowed me to step into great challenges that I never dreamed I'd ever be able to face, much less see anything happen. To just know, you know what? I am not just a Christian man winging it till I get to heaven. I am a son of God. Come on, somebody. Do you want to be a son of God? If you want to be a son of God, then you've got to say, not my will, but thine be done. Isn't that what the Son of God did? 
that before there was a Calvary, there was a Gethsemane. And the battle was fought at Gethsemane, really, than it was more at, at Calvary. You know, Gethsemane means the place of squeezing, got Shemini. And, and so that's the, it was, a, it was a place where there was an olive oil, uh, olive oil press, where the, all the farmers would bring their olives from the Mount of Olives and they would press them there. And so this was the perfect place for him to be squeezed. And you know what was squeezed out of Jesus? His will. Because he was saying, Lord, please, Father, let this pass from me. The, you, you, the agony I'm going to face and what I'm going to... Oh, God, you got to let this pass. And all of a sudden, will was squeezed out. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You see, a father does not... A son does not live by his own will. He lives by the Father's will. A crown prince does not live by his will. He lives by the king's will. Everything he does is what the king wants him to do. And I'll tell you, this is what I usually say to a group of men. is It's almost like you moving back in with daddy. Daddy, I'm not going to buy this unless you tell me I can't. I'm not going to wear this unless you tell me I can't. I'm not going to go here unless you tell me I can't. I'm going to get your permission on everything I do. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I'm going to, I'm, because I want to be led by the Spirit. I don't want to live my life independently from my Father, but I am an expression of the Father. If I am somewhere, the Father is there. If I'm somewhere, His authority is there. If I'm somewhere, His Word is there because you cannot separate the King from His Word. And you cannot separate the sons of the King from the King's Word because they operate by His authority. Am I making sense here? Thy King. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father relationship with art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Am I glad you know His name? But more than that, anybody glad you've got His name? You were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now, here's the next step. That's where you are, but where do you want to go? Thy kingdom come. This ain't my kingdom. This is yours. Thy will be done. Thank you for my job, God, because that's how I put food on the table. But the fact of the matter is, Father, you gave me that job. And I've got to be a son at the job just like I'm a son when I'm in church. I've got to be a son wherever I go. Because I am I, 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 I'm not living for my kingdom. I'm living for his kingdom. See, one of the greatest things, there are six principles in the, the disciples' prayer or the Lord's prayer that will revolutionize your relationship with God. And the first one is, this is relationship, not religion. Do you realize when you stand before God, this is going to be the deciding factor. This is the litmus test. He's either going to say, enter in. Thy good and faithful servant. Or he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. So the bottom line is, do you know him? Not do you know about him. Do you know him? Because that's going to be the bottom line. And he says, you worker of iniquity. You know what? I used to think iniquity meant that you are really something terrible. I mean, you know, iniquity is that serial killer. But the word iniquity just simply means living by your own self-will. There might be some of us living in iniquity right now. Didn't even know it. Doing what you want to do 
instead of consulting with the Father to see what He wants you to do. Buying what you want to buy instead of consulting with the Father about what He wants you to buy. Preacher, are you telling me that He's going to get in my business? I'm going to tell you He is your business. You know, we as Americans really don't understand kingship authority because we're so independent. You know, that's why it's going to be so hard to conquer America because we've still got Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana in the states and nobody's going to tell us what to do. Amen? But in the kingdom, we have to surrender our will. You know, that self-will you're dealing with, that is, a, that is the will of your, of your soul. And if you are living by your own will, you are not surrendered to him. And this is the problem. What reason he says, I never knew you, is because what he was saying was, I don't know what you're going to do. You're so unpredictable. You're not under my subjection for me to determine what you're about to do. Now, does he know what we're going to do? Oh, of course he does. He knows the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. But the point is, he doesn't know if we're going to do what he says or whether we're going to do what we want to do because we're so unstable. So he says, if you want to walk in sonship, it's more than just speaking in tongues. It's more than just going to church on Sunday morning. It's more than just praising God and patty caking for Jesus. It's living as his ambassador seven days a week. And the only way you can do that is for you to have a time of prayer every morning where you say, not my will. Squeeze the will out of me. Because I don't want to live in iniquity. I want to live in surrender to you. He says this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth that is as it just as automatically as it is in earth, let it be done in heaven. Just as automatically as it's done in heaven, let it be done in earth. As sons, we have been given the authority to bind things on earth that are bound in heaven. And we are given authority to loose things on earth that are already loosed in heaven. I have at my full disposal everything that is free and, and, and available in heaven is free and available to me in my situation on earth. And everything that is bound in heaven that is not available, sin and indifference and complacency, all of that stuff that's bound, it's got to be bound in me and it's got to be bound around me. Okay? Then he says, the next principle is living in the fear of the Lord. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Fear, does that mean being scared of God? No. It's not, it's not, it's not fear, it's reverence, but it's even more than that. It's reference. You know, you may think I'm crazy, but I pray about what I'm going to wear when I preach. And now it's just as I'm getting ready, I see the suit and the tie and the shirt that I'm supposed to wear. And you say, oh, now, wait a minute, preacher. You're getting a little bit ridiculous here. Well, I was in Kentucky, and a woman came and brought her daughter for the very first time who was a drug addict. And when she saw me on the platform, and I'm a visiting preacher, but when she saw me, I noticed that something happened to her, something changed in her. I preached the message. She sat there crying the whole time. It wasn't what I was saying. Because she cried before I said anything. <laughs> when I gave the altar call, she came to the altar. She repented of her sins. She was filled with the Holy Ghost. When they gave her, after she was baptized, they gave her the microphone and she said, 
Mama's been trying to get me to come to this church for years. And I had an overdose and almost died, and I promised God that I'd come to church if he'd let me live. And I had a dream the night before uh, that I went to church with Mama. And that man in that suit and that tie was in my dream. And when I walked in and saw what he was wearing, I knew the dream was going to come true and that I was going to be set free and filled with the Holy Ghost. Does it make a difference, folks? We need to be sensitive in every area. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't think I can be too sensitive. I don't think I can be too yielded. Let me, let me tell you what Jesus said in John, the 14th chapter. The words I say are of my Father, and the deeds I do are of my Father. I don't say anything unless my Father tells me to say it. And I don't do anything or go anywhere unless my Father tells me to go. Well, wait a minute. I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a man. I've got my own authority. Do you? Good luck with that. You know, the problem is, is that we have limited in input because we're down here. But we've got a God that is looking down on us, can see the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. Amen? Amen. We've got a God that can see us. You know, I was in a plane and they were flying lower because the elevation was beautiful and uh, it was clear, crystal clear day. And we were flying over the Smokies and, and so they came down low, you know, well, low 30-something thousand feet so we could kind of see it. And, and there was no cloud. It was just a gorgeous day. And i never forget, I looked down on the interstate and there was this five-mile traffic jam. And I, and I looked and, and, and you could just barely make, you know, little cars. You saw, saw this little red pickup truck hitting the ramp, and he was hitting that highway, and he was headed toward that traffic jam. And I thought in my mind, if I knew his phone number. <laughs> Can you imagine? Ring, hello. You don't know me, but I'm watching you. And you think you're going to make good time on the interstate. But you've got a five-mile traffic jam just ahead of you. And it might be better for you not to take that ramp, but to go the old way, the, the slow way, because it's going to be faster. Who is this? <laughs> I'm 35,000 feet above you watching what you're about to go into. I'm going to tell you what, I'd like to have somebody like that. Come on, somebody. I want to hear his voice because I need him. I've got too many obstructions here at the local level to prevent me from being able to move in the right direction and make the right choices. Come on, somebody. But if I had somebody that could see the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning that knows the thoughts and intents of every person's mind except, my, except uh, also mine, he could direct my path. He could lead me and guide me and make me avert a lot of problems and bad decisions if I would just let him show me what to do. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about just making it to heaven. I'm talking about being a son of God on earth. You know, I, I was, uh, oh, Lord, it's going too fast. <laughs> Y'all got stuff to do it Saturday. I'm trying to hurry. I was at a car lot uh, several years ago, well, two years ago, and, and uh, it, was, uh, it was August, and, and we had decided it was time to buy a car, and, and I went to the car lot, and I found what I wanted, found what I wanted. Actually, it wasn't what I wanted. It was just what I could afford. And so I was about to buy it. I mean, I, this guy probably thought I had a split personality. I mean, I'm, I'm ready to buy it. I'm following him to the cubicle. We're going to talk numbers. Holy Ghost spoke to me. Now, the only reason he spoke to me is because I've asked him to do that. 
He will not violate your will until you say, God, lead me and guide me. Don't let me do something that I don't need to do. Father, not my will. Pray that every day. What do you say? When you pray, pray like this. Every day. Everybody say, every day. Not my will. The Lord said, if you'll wait till February, I'll give you what you want. Okay, Daddy. It's a deal. You know, I think I'm going to wait. This guy's like, you're the same guy that I just talked to out there? <laughs> I thought you liked the car. I do like the car, but, you know, I just feel like I need to wait. Any reason why? If I told you, you'd think I was crazy, so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so February came around. I saw several cars I liked, but February came around, and we're sitting there. It's February 2nd, and uh, Adrian, he knows his dad's strange. He grew up with him, so he says, well, Dad... Has the Lord allowed you to, to, to buy the car yet? And I said, no, knowing him will make me wait till the 28th. <laughs> he said, well, let's just look and see if we can find what you really want. And I said, well, I, I was looking at a you know, Chrysler 200 convertible, and I, I think I, that I could live with that. <laughs> he said, no, you know what you really want. And there's a car, and I've got it. it, it it's a very rare car. It's a Murano convertible. They only made 10,000 of them. They only made 1,800 in the color that I have. It's a unicorn. It's so rare. And I said, son, you, when he told me what it was, because we saw it at a car show, I said, son, there's no way I can afford that and probably can't find one. He said, well, let's just look. So make a, as brief as possible, but to prove the point, we go online. He goes online. He finds not just the car, but the color. And it's for sale in Hilton Head, North Carolina. And he said, here it is, Dad. And I said, whew, but look what they want for it, you know, Internet deal. So I said, well, what, you know, he said, well, what, what's going to hurt the call? So I called, and to make a long story short, I called and I said, uh, I'm interested in that Murano convertible. He said, how do you know I have it? I haven't even put it online yet. I said, I'm looking at it. He said, no, you're not. I am the Internet salesman, and I have not put it online. It's still in cleanup. I said, I am looking at the car, and I want to make an offer. Well, we don't take offers. You know, Internet price, we don't take offers, and, and we usually sell it for what we advertise it for. And I said, well, let me make an offer. Sir, we don't take offers. I said, are you going to take my offer or not? He said, well, okay, sure. I'll play your game. So he took the offer, and he went to the sales manager. This is my father, by the way. Went to the sales manager. He's got someone on the phone, someone at his desk, and, and this guy comes in, hands him a contract. He takes the contract, and he says, what do they want? And he said, they want, they've offered this. He looked. He said, yeah, we need to get rid of it. Go ahead and just let it go for that. And the guy said, seriously? He said, yeah, yeah, just let it go. So he goes back to his phone call. Well, he thought he was selling me a hard top that was two years older with 79,000 miles on it <laughs> instead of a 2011 with 18,000 miles on it that he'd had less than eight hours. So he comes back. He said, who are you? And I said, well, my name's Mike Dobbs. What did he say? He took your offer. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, where'd you get that number? I said, it's what I can afford. You know what the truth was? It's what the Father said to do. He said, well, I don't know why, but he took it. I'm thinking, I do, Daddy, thank you. <laughs> so I knew, I knew there had to be a mistake. So I said, boy, I've never done this before. We're standing in a hospital waiting room. And I look at my wife, and I said, I think I'm going to buy that car. She said, you're going to go and look at it? I said, no, that's the strangest thing. I've never bought a car sight unseen, but I think I'm going to buy this car. I gave him my credit card number. 
I said, I'll be there in three days to pick it up. I'll fly in, pick it up. It's a good thing I did, because later on he went to the sales manager and he said, I cannot believe you let that car go for that. He said, well, you know, we've had it for, for months. He said, no, you sold the convertible for that. He goes, oh, no, no, we can't do that. He said, he's already bought it. It's done. He met me at the door when they brought me from the airport. He said, do you realize, preacher, you stole this car? I said, no, I realized that my father knew when they were going to trade it in. And so he told me, if you wait to February, I'll give you what you want. And you know what? I bought that car for $7,000 less than I should have and got the most. Every time I get in, I'm just like, God, you're so good. It may be ugly to you, but I love it. You know, I'm going to tell you, and it was just, just what I wanted. Let me tell you, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my Father. The Lord is watching over me. And you know what I believe? I believe that if I am willing to surrender to Him and say, God, now, I I, I would rather do this, but I know this is what you want me to do, that He will reward you for your obedience and submission. Okay. So, the next phrase is give us our daily bread. If I am his son, I don't have to ask him to meet my needs. Oh, it's really quiet now. Your heavenly father knows what you need before you do. Consider the lilies. They don't toil. And they don't spin, which means to, to move around in frustration. I know what I'm talking about? But they're arrayed in more splendor than King Solomon because of who their daddy is. We spend so much time asking God to meet our needs that it's probably a little offensive to him. Because if you are his son, now I'm not talking about if you're a part-time Christian. I'm not talking about if you're just a Sunday Christian man. I'm talking about if you're living in sonship, surrender, yielded. You've given up your will and you've given it back to Him. And you're walking in submission to what He wants. That everything you do, you ask His permission first. And if He says no, you don't do it. Or if He says later, you wait till later. You are literally a good son because you're walking in son. If you do that, then God will look at you and say, you know what? We love that verse about all things work together for good. But let's go on a little further. To them who are called according to his purpose. In other words, to those that are sons. There's some verses that are not everybody's. They're just sons. And that verse, Philippians 4.18, when he was talking about that you just should not fret about anything. The reason he said that is because if you're a son, you have no reason to. He is going to take care of you. You are his obligation. Lord, please protect me. I don't have to ask for protection. My Father naturally protects me. I don't have to ask for provision. My Father is going to give me what I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What he was saying is, I am a sheep in the flock of God. And if I am one of his sheep, I am his responsibility to take care of and protect. Give us this day our daily bread is not a question or a request. It is a command, as all the other parts of this verse. 
He's saying, don't beg me for daily bread. Just say, Lord, I know you're going to give me my daily bread because I am going to walk in sonship. I'm going to hallow your name. I'm going to be whatever you want me to be. I'm going to be serene. I'm going to walk in the fear of the Lord. So you see, that principle of not only the fear of the Lord, but the providence of the Lord. And then he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh Uh-oh. You mean, if I'm going to be a son of God, I can't have any gall in me. I can't have any grudges in me. I can't have any ill feelings toward anybody in me. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, There is nothing in me that belongs to Satan. That's what he said. Then he said, And I won't drink of this cup until I drink it with you in heaven. I'm, I'm going to be able to face the devil and defeat him automatically because I'm submitted. I don't have any ill in my heart against anybody. Let me tell you, if you're going to walk in sonship, there may be some folks you need to forgive and release, just like Jesus would. All right. yeah. Father, forgive them. They don't even realize what they're doing. So just forgive them. If you could just say, okay, this person did me wrong, but Father, forgive him. Because when you, when you ask God to forgive, I'll tell you what happens. Not only do you open that door for that person to be saved, but you open the door for you to be saved. Because God is not going to forgive you for anything if you're not willing to forgive others. You will receive no mercy if you're not willing to give mercy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is a principle that can change your life, folks, and it's in the Lord's Prayer. You've got to pray it every day. I don't want, you know, we have a little saying that we're alive. <clears throat> I'm not going to let that poison my spirit. I'm not going to let that take my peace. <laughs> that needs to be something we say. I'm not, you, no, that is not going to take away my peace. That, I'm not going to hold on to that offense. I let it go right now in Jesus' name. And if I let go, then now it's between you, God, and them, not me and them. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'm just going to give it to him. You see, if you live that life of being pure by throwing off those things that the enemy tries to throw on you, the spirit of offense... The wounded spirit that is easily offended, that can be gone in Jesus' name. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As I meet out forgiveness, let me receive forgiveness. That is a principle that will transform your life. The, the next principle, and I'm almost finished, is living in the power of the Lord. And this is probably the most important part. This is probably the most important. You see, he said, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I'll be honest with you, Brother Davis. I've I've had problems with that verse because it looked like to me that God was leading me into temptation, that he was doing it. And that, you know, when I say, and lead us not, God, what, what am I saying? Why am I saying you don't lead me into temptation? But deliver me from evil. I, I really had a problem with that. And, and so in prayer, I was, I was in a men's conference, a men's lock-in, and, and we were fasting three or four days and praying together. And one time, just laying in the corner over there praying one night, the Holy Ghost opened my understanding. Have you ever, don't raise your hand, but have you ever been to this place where whatever it is that you war with, you've gone two or three weeks without doing it, and you're going, oh, man, I think I got this beat. I, you know what? I'm... I think I've got victory over this once and for all, man. Man, I think I've finally got this taken care of. And within 30 minutes, you've done it. 
Now you can raise your hand. Both of them. A foot. Do you all know what I'm talking about? It's because God... (laughs) Put your dead hands. It's because God could never allow you to think for a moment that you've got it beat. So this this is what he said. When you pray, pray like this. Lord, I am so weak that I know I am going to fall in temptation and sin big time if you don't deliver me from evil. I have no power in myself. So I'm just going to admit right now, God, I am a loser. And the first time that the devil puts something in my mind, I'm probably going to chase it with all of my might until I have done something I'm ashamed of. And then I'm going to run from you for a week until the preacher gets convicting enough to make me come to the altar and repent. And that will be a week that I don't walk in sonship, and the devil has won a victory. Wouldn't it be better just to say, God, if you leave me alone, I'm worthless. (laughs) You leave me alone, I'm going to be the biggest sinner in my county. I can't do this by myself. It doesn't matter how long I've had the Holy Ghost or how many hours I pray or how many days I fast. My fasting and my prayer does not make me righteous. It is your love for me that makes me righteous. It is your goodness, not mine, that makes me righteous. So I'm just going to tell you right now, if you don't deliver me from evil right here at the onset, if you don't walk with me, talk with me, and keep me safe, I'm going to fall in sin. But now that we've covered this, and you're going to protect me, and you're going to be there for me, and you're going to disrupt my thoughts when I'm going down the wrong path. Let me tell you something. When that happens, then at the end of the day, when I have walked free from sin, and I have walked in sonship, and I have walked in your authority, then I'm going to be able to say, For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. I'm going to be able to praise you, because you gave me the power to withstand you know I've, I've had those times before you see something and it turns to a thought and then you start building on it please adjust your halo right now and you know what I was going down a street I didn't need to go down not literally I'm talking about in my mind and the phone would ring and it was somebody from somewhere that needs ministering to I'm going, well, I didn't quite do that, but Lord, purify my mind. Yes, what can I, oh, the Lord would say unto you. And after about 30 minutes of preaching to somebody, I hang up the phone and said, thank you, Father, we got through that. Can I have a witness? The secret is this. Sonship is voluntary. And sonship is when you surrender your will. And sonship is a daily thing. You say, well, once a son, always a son. Uh, Not because your will is involved. So every day, you have to die to self and say yes to sonship. You have to die to what you want to do. Paul said, I die daily. I crucify the flesh every morning. (laughs) Why? Because it's the only way I'm going to walk in sonship. If you pray these principles, you're praying surrender. 
You're praying humility. You're praying submission. You're praying relationship. You're praying dependency. You're praying forgiveness. Those six things will revolutionize your life because now it won't be just a Sunday night good feeling. It'll be a 24-hour transformation where you literally are able to walk in the Spirit and to hear the Father speak to you and obey what the Father says. And then when it's done, the Father gets all the glory. Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe to some this is just something you already knew. But maybe to some it's revolutionary. You see, he filled you with the Holy Ghost, not just so you just be saved. Get, if I can say this, if this is okay, get saved is really a man-made theory. Boy, I could hear a pin drop. Now, we don't come to church and live for God just to get saved. You call it salvation. He calls it marriage. And to get saved is just as much uh, a first part of the marriage as getting married. There better be a life of devotion, surrender, and agreement after that. Or you're going to have a miserable life. Come on, somebody. Anybody agree with me that marriage is a daily task? It has its pleasures, but it's a daily responsibility. Amen? You know, I saw a picture, and I'm closing. I saw a picture, and it was a knife. And on this end, there's a woman, a beautiful woman standing here. And there's a man that is walking on the edge of the knife to get to her. And obviously, he is bleeding as he's walking on the edge of this knife. And it it basically was saying, we will do anything to make you happy. Just make sure when we get there and we bled and we've sacrificed that you're happy. (laughs) And that you don't change in ten minutes. Amen? Well, I've got good news for you. Father's not fickled. He's not female. (laughs) He is ever the same. Never in a bad mood. Never too busy. Always ready for his father, for his sons to come and see him. I, I said I was closing. I will close. I will close. Just to drive the point home. In a men's lock-in, we were all in prayer late one night. The Lord gave me just a flash vision. I saw a man in regal apparel. His hair was gray, and I know that Father doesn't have an image, but it was just for the vision's sake. There was a daybed and several columns and, and servants and white that were all around him and set of stairs. And I was riding on a horse, and I was wearing beautiful armor. And, and it was a personal thing for me. I'm not saying that I'm anything special. It was just for me. And when I got off the horse, I started making my way. A servant took the bridle. I started making my way up those steps. And I could see just the top of his head there, just the crown, his crown. And as I walked up the steps and I broke the first level, he saw me. And I smiled and kept walking up. And when I finally got to the top landing and he was standing there, and there was, like I said, there was a couch and a day bed there, and it was a very beautiful, splendorous setting. And he smiled at me, and he just opened his arms. And I said, Father, I hope you're not too busy. He said, are you kidding? I'm never too busy for my sons. 
And he took me in an embrace. And I began to weep and travail in the Holy Ghost. And it was there on my face that the Lord gave me a burden and a call. And he said, there's many men that could be sons that don't know they can be sons. And I'm going to send you to places far and near for you to declare to them that when they're ready, I'm never too busy for my sons. When they're ready to surrender and be more, I will empower them. I will put shoes on their feet, which means a walk of authority. I'll put a ring on their finger, which means the sign of authority. And I'll put a robe on their back, which is a robe of righteousness. And I will call them my son and kill the fatted calf. Because nothing is too much for my sons. Can we stand together right now? I don't think it's accidental that I'm here. I just feel like maybe it's one of those opportunities that God told me I would have. And I believe there's somebody.